And it's been in my heart in the next several weeks to preach from this Mount Carmel experience where the fire of the Lord came down. Remember now, the fire in the Bible represents four truths. Sometimes it represents the judgment of God or punishment against wickedness. And sometimes it refers to the refiner's fire, the cleansing, the act of purifying. And then sometimes it is a picture or a shadow or a metaphor of the Holy Spirit, the fire of God's Spirit. And then a lot of times it represents the manifested presence of God, the pillar of fire that came over the tabernacle and it led the children of Israel. And as, and as the Lord began to unfold this 18th chapter, and I saw this picture of God manifesting himself, all four of those truths are in this text tonight. God is judging the nation of Israel for their sins with this fire that fell on the mountain. God is purifying the nation of Israel because they are closer to God on the other side of the fire falling than they were before. And only the power of the Holy Spirit can produce such a move. In this series, if you don't remember one verse I quote, not by power, not by might, but by my Spirit. And I'm going to tell you something tonight, the Holy Spirit will accomplish more in five minutes than all of us can in the energy and the ingenuity of the flesh. Only the Spirit of God can produce something like that. And then what a, man, what a manifestation of the glory and the power of God. You see, until you come to chapter 18, all Israel had experienced for 40 years was fake, phony, frivolous religion. They had a form of the priesthood. They had a form of godliness. But there was no truth. There was no authority. There was no power. And no wonder by the time you get to chapter 17 and 18, no wonder politically they're in a mess because they were in a mess religiously before they got in a mess politically. And as upset as I am, as mad as a wet setting hen. Now, I'm not from the country. I don't even know what that is. But if it's anything close to your wife being mad, you don't want to be around it. But as upset as I am at the political climate of our day, I, I, I mean, they couldn't ruin America if they were trying to do it on purpose any better than they're doing it tonight. And it makes me wonder is it really on purpose? And, and as upset as I am about that, I know tonight, I know tonight, within my heart of hearts, that if the church would have stayed on fire, full of the Holy Ghost, and the power of God working in the church, our nation would have never got this far. Because there would have been a generation, Tom, that would have stood up and said, not on my watch. In fact, I believe the political society would have been afraid 
to come up with the things they've come up with because they knew in that community was a church full of power, full of authority, full of God that would have never allowed that to happen. Now, most of you know my dad and you know my mom. And you've heard my testimony, how I came from uh, two worlds. My dad was Southern Baptist, grew up Southern Baptist. Uh, They had one revival a year, second week in August. The only time they gave an invitation was the second week of August. I guess you had to go to hell any other week of the year. But Baptist born, Baptist bred, and his daddy used to say most of us were Baptist dead. But my mama, on the other hand, was first class, bonafide, all gifts included, church of God. Now, now, daddy was saved, but didn't know how to enjoy it. Mama was saved, didn't know for how long, but she enjoyed what she had. And, and, and then mama and daddy Jeff got together, and mama got to believing like him, but daddy got to acting like her. And they throwed my daddy out of the Baptist church when he got to acting like mama. And daddy became an independent Baptist, and he was my whole life. And so we lived in Danville, Virginia, where my mom, where, where dad was from and his people. But before cell phones and before chat time and before Instagram and before Facebook, remember the good old days? My mama's side lived in Alabama slash South Carolina. And we didn't get to see them that much. Her daddy was a blind man. He was blind from the time he was three years old. And so him and his wife, my mom and her sister, they just traveled around. And Grandpa made a living by playing his guitar with a tin cup on the end, sitting out, this is how old it's been, sitting out front of Kmart, playing and singing gospel music. And people would put money in the cup. And that's how he raised my mom. But his brother was a Church of God preacher. And his daddy was a Church of God preacher from Birmingham and Mobile, Alabama. So, Judy, you tell John that I have got some roots to Alabama. and But we never knew much about them. They didn't live among us. And, and they died without me knowing much about them. And I regret that. But several years ago, I was preaching for Snyder Turner over here in uh, Marietta. And there was a preacher in the back seat. And I said, Brother, where are you from? He said, I'm from Birmingham slash Mobile, Alabama. I said, you know, that's where my mother's people were from. And, and they were preachers. He said, well, Brother Joe, I wouldn't know much about them because I wasn't a Baptist. I was Church of God. I said, you're the one I want to talk to. I said, so were they. I said, uh, tell me something about my great-grandfather and my great-uncle. He said, who were they? I said, well, have you ever heard of a preacher named John Wesley Shaw and his son Clayton Shaw? Brother, his eyes got that big. He said, Lord, have mercy, son. Are you kin to them? I said, that's my great-grandpa and my great-uncle. He said, they were friends of my father. He said, I grew up listening to them my whole life. By this time, I'm about to go, you know, into rapture. 
I said, talk to me, talk to me. What were they like? He said, well, son, even though they were father and son, they were vastly different. He said, now, your great uncle, Dr. Clayton Shaw, was a theologian. He was brilliant. He was smart. He knew Hebrew. He knew Greek. He was the Bible teacher at the camp meetings. He was the one they would have preach in the morning as the Bible teacher. He said a lot of times he would quote 50 to 75 verses of Scripture from heart before he ever preached. He said there were books in the Bible that he would quote verbatim. He said he was very, very intelligent. And I began to smile. And that preacher said, but I've heard you preach. It didn't rub off on you. That'll humble you. I said, now tell me about my great-grandpa. You see, I, I, I knew this much, that he preached real hard one Sunday on liquor. And that afternoon, some boys broke in the parsonage and murdered my great-grandfather for preaching against liquor. And by the way, I preach against liquor. Beer, wine, wine coolers, wine, beer, liquor. It's all rot gut and a And a Christian ain't got no business smelling it, drinking it, selling it, or making it. Amen. Amen. And But anyway, I said, tell me about my grandfather. He said, oh, Brother Joe, he was totally different. I said, tell me about him. He said, well, he was a little skinny feller. And I wanted to say, I was too at one time. But he said, Brother Joe, he was country as cornbread. And said he would squall and preach like a Comanche Indian. Said he'd get happy and throw his leg on the pulpit. I'd say, you're kidding. Said he would just get out in the aisle. Said he was the old-fashioned camp-meeting preacher. And he said he was a man of God. And he believed in the Holy Ghost and the power of God and (laughs) I'm feeling better about it. And he said, Brother Joe, Joe, I've heard you preach. He said, you're more like him than you are the smart guy. And if I hadn't wanted to know more, I'd have told him to shut up and be quiet. I said, you got any stories? He said, one stands out in mine. I'm going to tell you, brother, by the time we got to the church, I was weeping beyond control. He said, Brother Joe, way back in the 40s, early 50s, they were going to bring in liquor to the county in which your grandpa lived. He said, I don't mean liquor by the drink. I mean, it was a dry county. Anybody old enough to remember when there were counties that were dry? No liquor, no beer, no wine. And the reason why they passed it, most Baptists went down there and wanted them to pass it. Can I get an amen right there? But he said... They were going to bring in liquor and beer and wine in, in the county. He said, so they were going to have a meeting, I love this, down at City Hall. All the dignitaries was there, the councilmen were there, the mayor was there, and, and all the preachers, the Methodists, the Presbyterians, and, and several kinds of Baptists, and he, and he said, of course, our kind. And he said, you never heard such a fussing and a fighting and a arguing, and you, you, you couldn't hear anybody. Because they couldn't, everybody's talking over everybody. He said, about that time, that little skinny 
wild Comanche great-grandpa of yours, John Wesley Shaw, stood up and hit the desk, squall like a Comanche Indian, stood on top of the desk, and got to singing and a shouting and a preaching in the power of the Spirit of God. He said it scared that mayor so bad. He said, look, table it. Just table the issue. We'll vote on it later. And he said, Brother Joe, it never came up uh, to, for a vote again to your grandfather, great-grandfather died. They never even voted on it again. And somebody asked the mayor, they said, let's vote on it again. He said, you vote on it all you want to, but I don't want that skinny preacher up there squalling and shouting in my room anymore. In other words, he was telling me that that little short squalling preacher made a difference in his city. And brother, if the church was still on fire, we wouldn't have the political turmoil that we have in our day. We want to cuss the school system out for being the way it is. I'm telling you, the school, the politics, the sports world, America wouldn't be where it's at tonight if all of the churches were still preaching the Bible, full of God, full of Holy Ghost fire, and doing what God has called us to do. I believe that, Jeff, with all my heart. I believe it's in our court. I believe the ball is in our court. And I believe if the church could have influence in days gone by, I believe the church can have influence in this day, in this hour in which we live. And we've been simply going through this text on the road to revival. Some things they had in this text that caused the fire to fall. We dealt with the first one this morning. Remember I said a stand was taken. Up in verse 17 and 18, Ahab said to Elijah, Are you he that troubleth Israel? And Elijah said, No, I'm not the one that's troubled Israel. You've troubled Israel because you have forsaken the Lord. In other words, he took a stand. Can I emphasize again real quickly tonight? Don't you think it's time the church... Got out of the closet, came on the scene, and took a stand. I want to give you the second one tonight, and then we'll go in a couple of minutes. Look in verse 21. I believe we're going to have revival. Not only a stand needs to be taken, but I believe if we have revival, a choice, a decision is going to have to be made. Notice how Elijah worded this to the people. Chapter 18, verse 21, And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, say this with me, follow him. But if Baal then, say it with me, followed him. And watch this now. And the people answered him, not a word. Then Elijah said unto the people, I, even I only remain the prophet of the Lord. What he was telling these people is, you've got to decide whose side you're going to be on. 
He is saying you can't straddle the fence. And let me say it like this very kindly. You can't have one foot in a cesspool and one foot in the church and have a moving of the Holy Spirit. Can I say that one more time? You can't have one foot in the cesspool of ungodliness and one foot on the, in the church house and see the mighty power of God. I don't believe you can live in the church and the hog pen in the same person. I don't believe you can live in the church and Moab in the same person. I don't believe you can live in the church and in Egypt in the same person. I don't believe you can live in the church and in Sodom and Gomorrah in the same person. Ladies and gentlemen, you know when the prodigal got the blessing from the father when he gave the pigs a permanent wave. You know when Israel got to see the mighty miracles of God when they waved goodbye to Egypt. You know when Naomi and Ruth met a kinsman redeemer and got some handfuls on purpose. It was when they waved bye to the land of Moab. Ladies and gentlemen, we must make a decision. We must decide tonight whose side we're on. And I just want to clarify this tonight. We're not on the dark side. We're not on Satan's side. We're not on sin's side. We're not on compromise side. We're not on turning back side. We're not on giving up side. We're on the Lord's side. We're on the Bible side. We're on the Holy Ghost side. We're on the right side. Let's make a decision tonight. It's God and God alone. And I believe when we make up our mind, we've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. I believe we'll see God do something in this hour in which we live. Listen to this brief word of testimony. In the last several months, I have seen and felt, I have seen and felt a little stirring, a little burning of revival like I've not seen in a long time. I believe God is wanting to do something in these last days. I believe right before He comes for the church, them old timers used to preach about the latter day harvest. The latter day harvest. Reaping the benefits one more time. And how many believe tonight the Lord is coming? And I mean, brother, it's closer than it's ever been. Brother, I'm not talking about the planets lining up. I'm talking about the prophets lining up. I mean, everything is in place. You know all we need right now for the Lord to come? For Him to step out on that cloud with a shout and say, Come up hither. But I believe the Lord is moving in a special way. Right in these last days to bring in a little more harvest so somebody can be saved. I felt God moving on that boat in the middle of the Caribbean. I was preaching for Brother uh, Chris Rumsfeld up in Hayesville, North Carolina. He had a different preacher each night. Man, it got on. They went for three weeks. 
A different preacher each night. Hundreds and hundreds were saved. And I mean, if you'd have told me that me and Ralph Sexton and this young fellow just getting started who thinks he's prettier than me, C.T. Townsend, three redneck King James Bible aisle-running slobbering preachers would ever have 3,000 people on a cold Thursday night to come and see what God could do, I'd say you're crazy. But those of you that went, did you not feel a hunger and a thirst? And when Brother Ralph got to preaching on the power of God, and I'll tell you, turning 60, I've been battling turning 60. Man, it's got me emotionally. I lost weight and I've been sicker than a dog. I'm going to go back and be fat again. But brother, when I saw that 75-year-old man preaching and hopping on one leg and the power of God, I'm thinking, I ain't too old yet. And those altars flooded. Julie said it like this. Miss Arthur said it like this. Baby, it looked like an ocean of people. It looked like an ocean of people. And brother, I told the church this morning, one of the altars I was working, on this end, an 81-year-old man got saved. On the other end of the altar, a six-year-old girl got saved. And in the middle of the altar, a 19-year-old girl got Isn't that just like God? To save the young'un, to save the old person, and anybody else in between. I'm just telling you, I'm feeling the stirring. I'm feeling the stirring in our church. The other Thursday morning, Brother Tom called me. And usually when Tom calls me on Thursday morning, something crazy broke out on Wednesday night. Pastor, when him and Shane and Joseph really don't want to tell me, Shane, uh, Shane and Tom, Pastor, Joseph say, Dan, and I could tell that morning, Brother Tom, hello, preacher, guess what? I'm thinking, this is going to be good right here. Doubting Thomas has got his faith back. I said, what is it? He said, oh, Brother Joe, we got a room full of teenagers, and I taught the Word of God to them, and they just started coming forward for prayer without me asking them to. God is working among our young folks. I'm sensing a little stirring in the mulberry tree. And, and boy, then it hit me. God said, I'll pour out my spirit on the hungry. I'll pour my spirit out on the thirsty. And God said, we could see the power of God flow like rivers. And brother Shane, it hit me. God's going to bless somebody. He's going to anoint somebody. He's going to raise up somebody. He's going to use somebody. Why don't we lift both hands and say, let that somebody be us. And the words of that hymn. While on others thou art calling. While on others thou art calling. Do not pass me by. A decision, a choice was made. Will you make up your mind tonight? Will you make a choice tonight? Will you deliberately say, we're going to have revival. We're going to see what God is able to. To do. And ladies and gentlemen, there's not a city in America that needs revival any more than Metro Atlanta. I'm going to say that again. There's not a city in America that needs revival any more than Metro Atlanta. And it would just thrill this little preacher's heart 
If God would start a fire at 1974 Walt Stevens Road that would burn in this metro area and see God do it again. A stand's got to be taken. A choice has to be made. Let's make that choice tonight. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Grab your babies, grab your grandbabies, grab your wife, grab your family and say, No, sir, devil, not on my watch. For greater is he that is in you. Boy, I felt something when I quoted that. I really did. I felt something when I quoted that. Greater is he. Oh, I felt it again. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let's stand together tonight. Let's come talk to our heavenly.